Now this morning I have a message, what I've called the irreplaceable atonement. And what I'm going to speak about, the subject generally is, is this, on the subject of healing. Okay? Healing is a mysterious subject. It's a subject that's misunderstood. And so I want to put out something very plain and basic to you. God heals, and let's just preface this by this. God heals in a variety of ways. And just because you think he ought to respond in healing one way today doesn't necessarily mean he's going to do that. Because he'll surprise you. How many of y'all been surprised by God before? Raise your hand. Is he a God who wants you to be able to figure him out? Become dull and routine and mundane? You know, God wants to surprise you. He wants you to seek him. He wants you to search out the various ways that he relates to you. And he is a God of surprises. And there's a, there's a lot of different ways that God does the healing thing. And we're going to talk about four or five of those this morning. The irreplaceable atonement. Scripture is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Peter says this, and he's actually using an Old Testament scripture when he says this. And by the way, okay, um, if somebody tries to quote you a scripture and they, in, and they just paraphrase that, please don't get upset with them. Because Jesus himself, as he was quoting scripture in the New Testament record that was actually in the Torah, in the Old Testament scripture, as he, as he, as he expressed scripture, Jesus didn't always get it 100% right. Okay, and so what Peter's doing here is in his writings, he's going back into the Old Testament and he is explaining Scripture in teaching ways. So give each other liberty whenever that happens. Don't get mad with the preacher when he leaves out a word or something. The irreplaceable atonement, 1 Peter 2.24. This is going to be a place where we launch out from, okay? Who himself, speaking of Christ, bore our sins in his own body on the tree. That we, having died to sins, because Christ died on the tree and he became sin for us because he did that, then we, having died to sins, we have the capacity to die to sins, might live for righteousness. And those two things, that's just like two sides of the same coin. And he says this, by whose stripes you were healed. Did you know, in terms of supernatural healing, that... Supernatural healing was actually provided for in the atonement that Christ made on the tree when he shed his blood. See, the cross did a couple things. It provided for forgiveness of sins, redemption from sin. And that's what we're more familiar with. That's what we're most familiar with. But the second thing it does is absolutely and totally provided for our healing. And I related a couple Sundays ago, I think, to the people who were gathered about how God healed me from asthma in a supernatural way about eight or nine years ago. I related to them that I was healed that day. The healing manifested itself that day, but listen to what I'm saying. My healing was accomplished at the cross. My healing was accomplished at the cross, but it was manifested in a big old Baptist church in Hickson, Tennessee, eight or nine years ago. 
And that was a glorious day for me. Now, I'm going to use various scriptures, okay? First of all, let's understand our healing. Second slide, please. This is a real cool passage of scripture. Now, a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. Y'all remember the little illustration we did one Friday night uh, about a month ago? About where uh, we actually demonstrated how this worked. The woman was actually on her knees on the ground behind Jesus and she sneaked up on him and grabbed a hold to his tassel on his tallit and she was healed. For she said, if I only may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. And Jesus immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, that's the anointing, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging around you and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Okay. You can go to the third slide now. But I'm going to back up mine and go stay at the second one, okay? Understanding your healing. God uses the medical community. He uses doctors. He uses medicine. He uses the modern methods I want to ask you something. Don't be so dumb. Okay? When you get sick, first thing you do is pray. When you have a headache, first thing you do is pray. When your throat hurts, first thing you do is pray. When you have a pain, first thing you do is pray. Okay? When you have an infection, first thing you do is pray. When you, if, and, and God forbid this, but that you fall down and break your arm, first thing you do is pray that God put that thing back together in a supernatural way. Heal your bones without any scarring or any ill effect. Do that first. But don't be dumb if after you've satisfied your prayer efforts and God says, you know, you probably need to go see the doctor, then you probably need to go see the doctor. Because, this, this, because you go to a doctor does not minimize the effect of your healing being accomplished at the cross. That's got nothing to do with it because God just might choose to heal you through antibiotics or through sinus medicine for a while, eardrops, cough medicine. Maybe he will. Now, I personally haven't been to a medical doctor probably in a couple years. I know I have some friends who have ordered their lives in ways to reflect their adoration of Jesus. We might get into some of this in a little while. But... They haven't been to the doctor either. The mom and the dad or the kids, they haven't been in many, many, many years. Isn't that cool? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you folks that's got uh, little kids, wouldn't you love to never have to go to the doctor again? Think about the money that would save. Dr. Jesus paid a price, but we benefit from that. Okay? Now this woman, and the reason I use this scripture is because she had suffered many things from many physicians... She'd spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. I don't think that's a condemnatory statement concerning physicians. I think at least in part what the Holy Spirit is doing here is saying that, you know, it's okay to go to a doctor. Maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong. You'll just have to judge that. 
but he allowed it to be placed in this record for some reason. All doctors are not bad. All medicine's not evil. Okay? Now, when we get into the areas of abuse, that's bad. Okay? But anyway, God uses the medical community. Okay, now, all you charismatic people, here's where you start getting up and shouting, okay? Slide number four. He also heals through the laying on of hands. Okay? We talked a few Sundays ago about the laying on of hands. There's, there's, there's a, ooh, me goodness. When you, when, the, when you lay hands on people, it's an act of obedience, but also there is a transfer. If you go back and you look at the illustration used prior to this with the woman with the issue of blood, the word specifically says that when she touched or made contact with the tassel on the tallit, two things happened. Jesus felt virtue flow out of him. That's the anointing. He felt it go out of him and into this subject that he didn't know who it was until he turned around and spotted the lady on the ground. So there was a transfer. The anointing rushed out of Jesus. The scripture says that the woman actually felt it. That's cool. Now, I'm going to tell you all something. That, I, I preached one time in the Baptist church on the healing of faith. And I used that particular passage of Scripture. <laughs> that particular message was one of the things that helped facilitate my being where I am today. <laughs> cool thing is, I preached it just like it was on the page. Which is the only thing that will save you. And I said, Jesus said, and I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll get to this a little while. Jesus said, your faith has made you whole. Okay. So now, this slide, the laying on of hands. Jesus speaking to his disciples here just before he ascended into glory said this. This is Mark 16, verses 15 through 18. Then he said, go into the world. Go everywhere and announce the message of God's good news to one and all. I think I actually took this out of the message Bible. Whoever believes and is baptized is saved. Whoever refuses to believe is damned. These are some of the signs that will accompany believers. He didn't say they might. He didn't say possibly. These are the signs that will accompany believers. They will throw out demons in my name. They will speak in new tongues. They will take snakes in their hands. They will drink poison and not be hurt. They will lay hands on the sick and make them well. <laughs> and you're thinking, okay. Now, you know, it's got a part in here about um, they will take up snakes in their hands and they'll drink poison and not be hurt. I have, I, I think it's, it's good to balance scripture. And here's what I say. I insert another scripture right behind this. I say, you know, there's a scripture that says, why tempt you, God? <laughs> That's a joke. Um, I don't plan on picking up a snake and I don't plan on being I don't plan on drinking poison okay I just have no desire to play with a snake not even a rubber snake and I don't think what he's talking about here is is, is I don't have to demonstrate this. And see, here's the thing. I don't have to demonstrate this 
to prove the scripture to be true. But I think what he's talking about here in terms of the anointing is, remember when Paul was bitten by the snake in the book of Acts whenever they were shipwrecked on an island? He just shook that thing off. And they were all amazed that he didn't die. He was bitten by a poison asp that should have killed him and it didn't. The anointing was so strong in his life that it didn't happen. Someone tried to poison me in Africa on a crusade two years ago. They tried to do that. They tried to kill me. Matter of fact, on that trip, they tried to do it, we know twice, maybe three times, but once they tried to poison me. When I discovered there was a substance in that water bottle that was given to me, I didn't remember this scripture and turn it up and test the word to see if it would come true. I don't have to. By the same token, I simply say this. These signs will accompany believers. The end of it, it says they'll lay hands on the sick and they'll make them well. Now somebody's going to say, and we'll address this probably in a little while, somebody's going to say, okay, then why is it every time you lay hands on somebody in a service or on the street or in a store or in a car, at home, whatever, why is it that everybody isn't healed when that happens if the word says they'll lay hands on the sick and recover? You know, there's, I don't want to go into a great big long apologetic today, but what this is saying in Mark 16 is this. Is that when you mobilize, when we mobilize, and when you take your faith home, and when you take your faith to the street, and when you take your faith to the hospital, and when you take your faith to Walmart, and you begin to travel about the communities and the countryside roundabout. As this body mobilizes and goes its many, many, many different ways. As we as a body, as we as the bride of Christ exit this building. And as we begin to encounter sick folk. As we begin to anoint them with oil and lay hands on them and pray over them. That generally speaking there's going to be a wave of healing. And there's going to be a testimony that goes forth from our activity as a body. Not only this body but other bodies, there's going to be the testimony of people getting healed. One of the first signs of a church in revival, one of the first signs of a person receiving the baptismal spirit, one of the first miraculous evidences is healing. It, it really amazed me. It amazed Janie and I early on as we began to make the transition from traditional ministry into non-traditional ministry. We were amazed that even in traditional ministry, how God would miraculously heal people just because we were obedient enough to lay hands on folk and pray for them. Now, we had to be creative. And I'm not saying this to be funny, but this is just the way it is. How do you, if you're from a traditional background, how do you lay hands on somebody without laying hands on somebody? How do you get up in front of a church if you're a pastor and lay hands on the sick if, if your church really doesn't embrace that? And many don't. And that's okay, I'm not condemning them. But I'm simply telling you that there's, there's ways that can be done. Jane and I talked about it. You know what we came up with? We circled up. Yeah, we circled up. We got folks to come to the front of the church. We just simply joined hands together, made a, made a prayer circle, and we prayed for people. Because you know what happens in that environment? The same anointing that was in Jesus that lives in us, that thing began to circulate. And it was like, what you call one of these uh, accelerator, neutron accelerator things? What you call that? It's a thing. Some of you teach me. An accelerator, anyway. 
You know, and the anointing begins to flow and it begins to circulate and it begins to travel and people pick up on that and they feel on that. And so therefore, you can lay hands on somebody simply by circling up with them and praying with them. You know, um, you don't have to, um, well, Ronnie won't mind. You know, you don't, have to, you, don't, you don't have to do this. You don't have to do that. You know, many times when we're in public, what we will ask people if we feel the anointing or the unction to pray for people, can we pray with you? Yeah, okay. Get permission. Get permission. Once they say yes, yeah, okay, can I, can I hold your hand? Most people are not opposed to holding hands. <laughs> Grab them by the hand. Let the anointing flow. Jesus said one of the signs that's going to accompany his body as they go forth into the earth is that they're going to lay hands on the sick and the sick will recover. Next slide. Understanding our healing comes, God uses the medical community, he uses the laying on of hands, he uses the prayer of a gifted person. Here's where a lot of people begin to balk and back up. Okay, 1 Corinthians 12, 28. And God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. There's the tongue thing again. You can't escape it, can you? Gifts of healings. God has given gifts of healings Special gifts. We're all gifted to heal, okay? Get that through your head. We're all gifted to heal. We're all gifted to serve. There's many common gifts in the body of Christ. There's many common characteristics, okay? And in terms of spiritual gifts that are given out, this is part of the nine gifts that God the Father gives out. There are actually nine gifts of the Father. There are nine gifts of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, and then there are nine gifts that the Son gives. Isn't that cool? We may look at some of those one day, but, but God gave nine, the Holy Ghost gave nine, Jesus gave nine to fully equip the body of Christ. This is part of the Father's gift. God the Father's gifting to the body. God the Father in His infinite wisdom has anointed specific people with an accelerated gift to lay hands on the sick and the sick be healed. There are some people that as they engage in ministry, they simply happen to have large numbers of people being healed. And you know what? You've got to be okay with that. Because here it is. Okay, got to be okay with that. Don't be jealous of it. Don't be envious of it. Don't criticize it. Don't put it down. You may not understand it, and you may not say, well, why would God give this one? Why would he give, why would he give Perry the gift of healing, and, and, and maybe Hannah doesn't get that specific gift? Why is it that Perry can heal, for more, heal more people uh, through the gift of Jesus that lives in her than Hannah can? Don't go there. What you need to be doing is saying, go, Perry! Yeah. You know? <laughs> go get them! Sick them! <laughs> Take her to the hospital. Say, okay, here's a room list. Now start room number one and go to the end. You see, the purpose is, is when the gifts are identified in the body of a person, the, pur the, the purpose is, is to identify that gift, but also encourage them and give that person an opportunity to express their giftedness without making them feel weird or odd. Okay? So, understanding our healing, God uses the medical community. He uses the leg on of the hands, and he uses the prayer of a gifted person. Remember, Paul actually, uh, they would take his sweat rags. 
you know, King James people made it sound real cool. Handkerchiefs looks like, you know, I don't have one in my pocket, but it made it sound like it was a real neat, tidy, white little thing, but folded up and neat up, you know. He just carried around, or he might have stuck in some pocket he had on his garment. <laughs> the handkerchiefs that Paul had were sweat rags. It's what he used to wipe his sweat and, and perspiration and, and grime and dirt and stuff off as he went through his occupation of life. But they began to notice that there was something special and unique about Paul in that these rags, as people made contact with them if they were sick, it was just like that tassel on Jesus' tallit. There was something about that. that the, the, the presence of the anointing was still there, even though Paul wasn't. Now, y'all, how, how cool is that? That God could come up with this marvelous part of his program in the church and in the gifting of the church to allow sweat rags. And the sweat wasn't even wet. It was dried sweat. <laughs> you know, you got to think about this stuff. Dried sweat. Somebody with cancer, grab hope that thing, they'd be healed. Somebody with a demon, grab hope that thing, they'd be delivered. Somebody who was, uh, you know, a blind could grab a hope of that handkerchief and be healed from blindness. Y'all, how cool is that? Wow. A special gifting. I'm okay with that. Next slide. God also uses anointing oil in the prayer of faith. Okay, little clinic here. Here's anointing oil. As you can see, we've used a good bit of it. Of course, we've sent some home with folks too. What does oil represent in Scripture? Just, just help me if you, if you can. What does it represent? The Holy Spirit, okay. Um, you know, looking at it from the natural, you'd say, I don't look like the Holy Ghost to me. It's that looks like oil to me. Well, automatically right there, you know, you've uh, begun to doubt just a little bit. And I can look at that and I can tell you, no, that probably really doesn't look like the Holy Ghost, but I've never really seen the Holy Ghost, so I can't really say for sure. But the Word says this. Is anyone among you sick? James 5. Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. Two things involved there, maybe three. First of all, oil represents the Holy Spirit. So symbolically, when we anoint people with oil, it's like, it's like the placement of the Holy Spirit, okay? It's an act of obedience. That's what that is. Anointing with oil is a simple act of obedience. Did you know that God will heal people sometimes simply because they're obedient? Scripture for you. You remember the uh, ten lepers that encountered Jesus? And they began to engage in conversation. Really, Jesus crossed the boundary there because he wasn't supposed to talk to them anyway, and they weren't supposed to really talk to him. Anyway, protocol was breached in, in terms of the societal expectations on social relations. Anyway, Jesus, you know, what you guys want? They said, we want to be healed. Okay, go show yourself to the priest. <laughs> that was short and sweet now, wasn't it? But you know what those ten guys did? They turned around and they were going to go show themselves to the priest. Now, the word says that they were healed as they were going. Which means that they were not healed right there when, where Jesus was at. But they were healed as they were going. That says a couple things. First of all, is that somebody that you pray for may not manifest healing right then. Okay, They could manifest it as they're going. They could manifest it an hour later. Which... The word says that about some folks being healed too. They were healed an hour later. You know, as they were going, as they were being obedient, they, or as they were going about the normal course of life, they were healed. Okay? 
Ain't that cool? Okay, now here. How do you suppose? Now, I love this about Scripture. I just love to think and to meditate and to finagle sometimes. I can't spell finagle for you. But here's the thing. The Word says they discovered as they were going they were healed. Now, how do you reckon that happened? Now, you know, leprosy, I don't want to gross you out, but, but leprosy, what it does, it causes your, your fingers to fall off. Your nose fall off. Your ears will be gone. Uh, your lips will, will go away. Um, toes will fall off. Feet will fall off. This gross, nasty, yep stuff. I mean, you, you start losing your body parts, but you're alive. <laughs> yeah, how much, how much more gross can it be? And there is still today no medical cure for leprosy. Won't even go into that. But anyway, <laughs> how did they discover they were healed? Well, I, here's what I think. Probably that old 10th guy, only one returned to give Jesus thanks. Probably that 10th guy was going along here. Okay, he just kind of walked along. And all of a sudden, his nose itched. And so he's going to scratch it. And so he, gets his, he scratches his nose. And he takes about three or four steps and he stops. And he realizes he didn't have a nose before or a finger to scratch with. And as he was walking along there scratching his nose, he just, he saw, he got ten fingers. And he gets, he, he, he's got, he's got both his ears and he look, he pulls up his garment. He's got all of it. He's got both feet and ten toes. I can just see this. I'm just reaching here and just ripping his clothes back and looking and saying, hey y'all. Hey, I'm clean. I'm not, I'm whole. I got all my body parts. How about you? And all 10 of them walking down the road, they start checking each other out, stripping, pulling hairs off and, and stuff like this. And don't you know that was a sight? Hey, listen, if you'd had leprosy all over your body and you saw most of it been healed, but you couldn't see your hinder parts back here, you want to make sure you were healed. What would you do? I'd pull my skirt up, probably. I, the point is, I want somebody to check me out. Now we're going to the priest, bear in mind, but listen, I, this thing working now on, this, on the road, I want to believe it, grab hold of this thing now. One of them turned back, went back to Jesus. But the point is, they were healed as they were going. Word says here, is any of you sick, anoint him with oil and the prayer of faith to save the sick. So anointing oil and the prayer of faith. Okay, just a little side here. There's something about the prayer of faith. Um, some may say, well, why then does it work that if the prayer of faith and the laying on of hands and all this stuff works. Why is it that some are not healed? Well, there's a host of reasons for that. You know, and we're talking about some of these things that activate the healing, that cause the healing to manifest. There are other things that cause healing not to manifest. I really can't go into all of them right now, but I'm just going to suggest right this. Maybe it's just not quite time yet. I don't want to downplay scripture or, or do any injury to that. But remember... There was a dude who couldn't walk who was laid at the eastern gate for years and years and years. about 40 years old, couldn't walk. And one day along came Peter and John and the unction, the anointing, rose up in Peter and he stuck out his hand and he said, 
He'll rise up and walk. And he pulled him up. Strength came to his ankle bones. The man then went leaping about the temple grounds. He had a happy, jolly good time. Let me tell you something. You know who else came through that gate? Jesus. You know how many times he went through that gate? Countless, hundreds, maybe, maybe even thousands of times. I think it would be safe to say hundreds anyway. Every time he went past there, here was this dude laying there crippled from his mother's womb, couldn't walk, begging for alms. Jesus just walking right past him. Yes, is that cruel? I don't think we can say it's cruel. But I'll say this. There was a time that God had set apart from the moment he spoke this world in existence that he had that man on his mind. And if you're sick today, I'm going to tell you this, he's got you just as much on your mind, on his mind, as he did this lame man. And he had a celebration in order for this man and for Peter and John. And in the critical kingdom timing, he had, a, he, had a, he, had, he had a speck in time out there where he knew he was going to heal this guy and it was going to set off a chain reaction to accomplish a bigger purpose than that just for the moment. And so this man was saved for a particular time, especially for Peter and John. And I want, I want to suggest something to you. Are we living in a critical point in history? Is your faith shrinking or is it actually becoming stronger? Is your belief in the word and God and what he says he'll do, is it, is it getting stronger or are you backing up from it? I think I can say in generally speaking, generally speaking, that faith in the body of Christ that I am associated with, that I know about, that I'm in relationship with, not only here but in other places, I think I can say that faith is rising. I can also say, that time is becoming more critical. I think I could also say that the biggest part of the kingdom is in front of us and not behind us. It's out there. It's happening. It's coming now. It is here now. I think I can say beyond certainty that I simply believe at this point in time that you, as you rise up, as you grab a hold to these principles, as you rediscover the word, as you begin to think and to meditate on it, as you begin to allow the spirit of the living God that lives in you to come out and begin to manifest itself and to take control of you like it should, I simply say right now that as you leave this place and as you go out those doors, the kingdom is going to happen. And there are moments that God has assigned for you. He has destined you to, you to approach and to be a part of. And who knows, that might be this afternoon when you go to Walmart or when you go to the restaurant. It might be the little girl who waits on you. could be the cook in the kitchen. It could be the student that you find tomorrow. It could be anything. But I'm here to tell you now, history is reaching a critical mass and God's got a program. He had a program this day and age and he equipped and he blessed his people to go out and accomplish that program. They did that. We have... <clears throat> I think we have a more important role today to play in history than the people did in the book of Acts. You know why? Because the signal event of all of history and creation is waiting to happen. And we can help usher it in. Jesus, Yeshua, is coming after a certain sequence of events happen. Israel's a timeline. Okay, Israel's a timeline. Watch that. We're getting close. The gospel of the kingdom must be preached in all the earth 
before the end can come. Antichrist has to manifest himself. And as critical mass is about to happen, Jesus is going to take your faith, your gift, and your opportunity, and he's going to turn it into somebody else's blessing. Now it's up to you. It's up to you. If you capitalize on that or not. I for one do not want to miss another opportunity because I personally have missed far too many. I don't want to go to my grave or to glory with any regrets. I have managed somehow to forgive myself or to, or to justify myself any way you want to call it. But I'm telling you what, I've, I'm, I'm done with my past. I will not allow another failure or mistake to define what my future and my destiny is going to become. I ask you to apply that same principle to yourself today. And simply believe what the Word says. This is the simplest stuff there's ever been. You know why? Because God's behind it all and He's doing it. He's just chosen you to be a vessel through which to operate. He's just asked you to be available and obedient to do what He's doing. Okay, next slide, and here's where we're going to end, yep, it's time to go. An act of direct faith, going back to the woman now, nobody laid hands on her, nobody prayed for her, this is the woman who touched Jesus' garment, there was not an elder present, there was no anointing oil, but the word says that she knew in herself if she could only touch his garment that she'd be healed. Now what kind of personal faith is that? And it happened just exactly that way. God chooses to heal sometimes simply out of a direct act of faith with not one single other person involved. God don't want to be buttonholed and he don't want to be put in a box. So he'll use your faith, sometimes not for somebody else, but just for you. Isn't that wonderful? The great variety, the great balance, the great joy, and the great benefit that's present in God simply being who he says he is and doing what he says he'll do.